Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Krita, your host. Thank you for tuning in. It's wonderful to have you with us today. Please stay for this hour as we are opening the Bible again together and we want to learn from the Bible. We live in very, we live in very troublous times and it's wonderful to know things. And um, we are going to approach um, a new study three cosmic uh, messages. I'm just uh, giving you a little bit of an uh, idea what we may touch on uh, this um, next few weeks. We may uh, talk about a moment of destiny, looking into the everlasting gospel, and also we learn uh, to learn what that means to fear God and give glory to him. We are going to talk about judgment too. And what that means to worship the Creator. Not lastly, we want to understand a bit more what Sabbath means. All these beautiful Bible studies will be very important to be part of. And we thank you, and I thank the panel who is putting uh, some time into these studies and uh, coming together. And I would like to welcome our panel today. It's good to have you with us, Denise. Thank you, Nick. It's always a pleasure to be part of it. Thank you for joining us, uh, Jerry. It's a pleasure to be here, Nick. Joe, it's good to have you uh, also part of the panel. Thank you, Nick. Good to be here. Will, thank you for your participation. It's always a pleasure. Thank you, Nick. And Len, thank you for uh, coming with us today. And uh, in particular... Thank you for preparing this uh, Bible study. You are going to facilitate the discussion. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Hello, listeners. And we're delighted that you've joined us for Bible study today. And uh, today we begin a new series of Bible studies. And the theme coming up revolves around the topic, Three Cosmic Messages. Now, several non-Christians have commented to me, ah, the world is in a mess, and they are perplexed about why is is the case. And they've wondered if and when perhaps the situation might improve. But most people are not aware of the supernatural forces behind the scenes. On one hand is God, who is benevolent and righteous. On the other hand, is another major supernatural being who, because of his rebellion, is the source of evil with the consequent troubles that plague humanity and planet Earth. Today, we will show you from the Bible where all the trouble began. We'll talk about the conflict between the two cosmic powers and how human beings have been caught up in the controversy that rages between good and evil. And we hope to provide biblical answers to satisfy your questions about who will win in this struggle for superiority. So with that preamble, and before we begin, we wish to invite the Lord to be part of this and that we speak for him. Joe, would you pray for us and the listeners? Certainly. Father, please be with us today as we consider a very important topic. 
Help us to understand that all scripture is given for our benefit and that we need to read and believe your message to us so we won't be fooled by clever words. We know that you love and long for every person to be ready when you return. We know you long for that day when all the pain and suffering will be over. Bless all on the panel and all who listen in. Give us wisdom to choose you every time, the winning side for eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Joe. Well, now to begin our study today, Denise, would you like to read Revelation 12, verses 7 to 9, and then answer the question, who are the two main characters in this war? But before you do, I'd just like to say this. You know, there are plenty of people, Christian people, who regularly attend church, who, although they're grateful for Christ dying on the cross to save them from their sins, have no idea where sin originated. And so these texts that you're going to read will provide the answer. I'm reading from Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 to 9. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leaves the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. So from those verses, the two main characters in this war are Satan, who led a rebellion against God, and Michael, who fought against Satan and his angels. So Satan and Michael. It's hard to conceive that there would be rebellion in heaven in the perfect environment. But, um, Jerry, it mentions Michael. Who is Michael? Yes, that's a good question. Um, but before we go to Michael, can I just mention a few other names in the Bible that finish with L, as in Samuel, Daniel, Ezekiel, Emmanuel, Israel, all these names finish with E-L, as does Michael. They all have a meaning. They all have a designation of God. For instance, Samuel is God has heard. Daniel, God is my judge. Ezekiel, God will strengthen. Emmanuel, God with us. Israel, the one who has prevailed or wrestled with God. But there are also some other names for God himself that start with L. Uh, we're familiar with some of them. El Shaddai, God the Almighty, uh, Elohim, El Olam, and so on. So if we look at Michael, or Mikael, I think it's uh, said, Michael in, in Hebrew. In Daniel chapter 10, verse 13, it says, Michael is described as one of the chief princes, who together with Gabriel, mentioned in Daniel chapter 8, verse 17, explains the vision of the cleansing of the sanctuary. And if you drop down a few verses to uh, Daniel chapter 10, verses 21, or verse 21, is where Gabriel explains to Daniel uh, that he's engaged together with Michael in a spiritual battle against the prince of Persia and later Greece. And it's interesting how one Bible commentator describes Daniel 10, verse 21, because we're trying to zoom in on who is Michael here. And he describes it this way. He says, first, let me tell you what is written in God's book of truth. 
about events to come. No one else is strong enough to contend with Satan's forces who are trying to control the kings of the earth, except Michael, the prince of the Lord's host. Of course, in Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, we read, At that time Michael shall stand up, the great prince, who stands watch over the sons of your people. And in Revelation 12, verse 7, we read, And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. And finally, uh, if I can go quickly to a comment from the SDA or Seventh-day Adventist Bible Commentary, Volume 4, it says this, A comparison with other scriptures identifies Michael as Christ. Jude 9 terms him the archangel. According to 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16, the voice of the archangel is associated with the resurrection of the saints at the coming of Jesus. Christ declared that the dead will come forth from their graves when they hear the voice of the Son of Man. It thus seems clear that Michael is none other than the Lord Jesus himself. Well, I would say you've answered that question very well, Jerry. In fact, one other thing perhaps we should take note of there in Revelation chapter 7 that Denise and you also read, it says, Michael and his angels. Now, it seems to me strange if Michael is simply an angel because it, here it mentions Michael and his angels as if he is over the angels. So I think it's reasonable, and you've answered this question, I think it's reasonable for us to uh, extrapolate that Michael is simply another name for Jesus. Well, there's some other names mentioned here, and these are the names given to Satan. There's a whole list of them, so you can't miss who he is. What are the names given to Satan, Denise? Well, previously he was known as Lucifer, but he's also called the great dragon, that old serpent, the devil, and Satan. What's the relevance of the name that old serpent? That's a reference back to the Garden of Eden where he tempted Eve to take the, to taste the apple. Apple? <laughs> well, some people fruit. say apple. Fruit. fruit. Uh, we don't know if it's an the apple. Knowledge of good and evil. It might have been dragon fruit for all we know. Probably Anyhow, <laughs> thank you, Denise. Now, there's a special characteristic mentioned in uh, Revelation 12.9 about Satan. Nick, what is that characteristic? Then also that he's a deceiver. Satan does not come to you on open ground. If he wants to deceive you, he will come into deceptive way. I mean, the Bible says that uh, he comes even as an angel of light. I believe this is important for us to know and um, not to be surprised by the works of the enemy, the devil. Even uh, the first couple on this planet Earth, they were exposed to this cunning uh, approach of the devil, of the deceiver. I believe we are uh, going to learn through these Bible studies and through this conflict 
of ages, if you like, about this deceiver. Yes, Denise. Another name that we we didn't consider there was he's called in the New Testament the father of lies. So I guess that relates to the idea of being an arch deceiver. Yes. So Revelation chapter 12 verse 9 says that he, this is Satan, leads the whole world astray. In some versions it says deceives the whole world. So his deceptions are very effective. Now, Will, when we started, it says there was war in heaven. How could that be? Because heaven was a sinless environment, so war would be a very unlikely event, wouldn't it? Uh, it certainly would. Hard to explain, but the origin of sin, then, in the perfect place, like heaven, is a deep mystery. But evil's beginnings can be traced to a mighty angel who stood in the presence of God, whom we have identified already as Lucifer or Satan. But how that could happen is a deep mystery. One writer says, little by little, Lucifer came to indulge a desire for self-exaltation. In fact, he, he aspired to the position of Jesus, the Son of God. Interestingly, God did not immediately snuff out the life of this angel. After all, he was allowed the prerogative of choosing for himself. And if this privilege of choice was not given, there would have been a kind of robotic service in heaven. I'd like to read a little statement from a Bible study, which I think is valuable at this time. The freedom to choose is a fundamental principle of God's government, both in heaven and on earth. God did not create robots, either in heaven or, in, or on earth. Created in the image of God, we as humans can make moral choices. The power of choice is closely aligned to the ability to love. If you take away the power of choice, you destroy the ability to love. For love can never be forced or coerced, or I might say even programmed. Love is an expression of a free will. Every angel in heaven was faced with a choice, either to respond to God's love or to turn away in selfishness, arrogance, and pride. Just as the heavenly angels were confronted by love with eternal choice, Revelation presents one of us, each one of us, with eternal choices in the uh, final conflict of this Earth's history. Well, it's quite obvious that love must allow free choice, otherwise it's not love. But if God's love included free choice, wasn't God taking a huge risk when he created angels and human beings? Yeah, absolutely, Len. I, we think it's free, you know, that, that is, that's absolutely right. That's a huge risk. And in fact, you could argue that um, if God, who is all-knowing, gives us that freedom, some might even draw the conclusion that he was reckless 
Um, so let's unpack that a little bit. Will's already said that um, free choice is an essential aspect of love and that love can't be forced. It's If it is, if, if you try and force love, it ceases to be love. Love is a manifestation of a strong affection towards another person or or a creature. I mean, some people love their animals, uh, and that's that's fair enough too. But let's think about this for a minute, God's love for humanity. God created us as intelligent beings. He creates us in his image. He provides a perfect environment for us to live in. And then he doesn't abandon us when we turn our backs on him. Instead of that, he gives us his only son, his unique, one-of-a-kind son, as a sacrifice for us and the promise of eternal life if we maintain our faith and trust in him. That, now, that kind of love surely is designed to, to generate in us a love response. They say love begets love, and that's how I see it too. Those who recognize and respond to God's love demonstrate that it was worth God taking that huge risk. And it certainly was a risk, and it cost God very dearly. Well, as we read those verses in Revelation 12, verses 7 to 9, uh, the conflict or the war that existed in heaven, we have not much idea what sort of war it was, but it certainly didn't concern drones and things like that and rockets. It was probably more a war of ideas and allegiance. Who had the greater power in this event that occurred in heaven? And I believe this is quite an important question. Who had the greater power? Will? I think it gives us assurance, uh, Len, that from the text itself in Revelation 12, it says, Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But here's the key verse. But he, that is the dragon, was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. Jesus is the victor there. And Jesus, I believe, will be the victor right at the end as well. Right. He was the victor back then. And you've well pointed out that Jesus is the victor in the end of things as it relates to this world. Well, now, Joe, Satan entered the newly created planet Earth and deceived Eve to disobey God's explicit command. What was God's command and what happened and how has that effect affected rather the human race? Well, I'll read Genesis 3, 1 to 6 and I'm reading from the, the message. The serpent was clever, more clever than any wild animal God had made. He spoke to the woman. Do I understand that God told you not to eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, Not at all. We can eat from the trees in the garden. It's only about the tree in the middle of the garden that God said, don't eat from it, don't even touch it, or you'll die. The serpent told the woman, you won't die. God knows that the moment you eat from that tree, you'll see what's really going on. You'll be just like God, knowing everything, ranging all the way from good to evil. Now, Satan knew that he had what he had said wasn't true. You know, they could eat of all the trees in the garden, save the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This was a means of him holding her attention. 
We see here in this in this scene, Satan trying to establish a new territory for himself. He'd been cast down from his elevated position, and here he was attempting to stir another rebellion against God on this newly created earth. So he engages Eve at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and with all the cunning that he has, crystallizes his slanderous ideology into as simple a format as he could. God is withholding something very important to you, your fundamental right to be truly free. If you disobey God, you will find enlightenment and knowledge that would make you equal with God. You cannot trust God. God is selfishly keeping it for himself. Try and see. You will find that I am right. Now, Satan had been saying the same thing in heaven. You mentioned that there was a war in heaven ideas, allegiances. He'd been saying the same thing in heaven and managed to persuade one-third of the angelic host. So much now hinged on what Eve would do. What would she do? In verse 6 it says, When the woman saw the tree looked like good eating and realized what she would get out of it, she'd know everything. She took and ate the fruit and then gave some to her husband and he ate And just the first part of verse 7, immediately the two of them did see what's really going on. Yes. I guess that's sadly just the beginning of her pain and suffering and that of every human since, um, unfortunately. Yes, it's a sad story, isn't it? But coming back to Jerry's point, when God created angels and mankind, he took a risk because... He gave us free choice. Can I just say that freedom of um, choice, there's no alternative. I don't think it was a case of taking a risk. There's no alternative. To have created worlds without a freedom to choose would have been a dictatorship. It would have been everything that Satan accused him of. But Satan himself abused this freedom to speak and to, um, to think independently and so he this is how this whole thing began god trusted us to use our freedom responsibly but we didn't and hence we have all the suffering and pain um, that we have in this world at the moment and throughout the the ages until of course when jesus returns thank you joe yes jerry so if if there was a better way then god would have come up with a better way but maybe that sort of dovetails into what Joe's saying. There was no better way. God knows best. And um, even though we sometimes struggle with that, even, for instance, if you think about also, uh, we talk about Satan as uh, losing the battle, that the, uh, Michael wins, Satan loses, and and Satan is often depicted as a defeated enemy. You know, that... that I sort of struggle with that a little bit because uh, that that needs to be qualified. We know what that means. Ultimately, he's a defeated enemy. But if you think of all the the intense misery and and heartache and and just indescribable misery that he's continued to cause on the human family for the last 2,000 years, you know, when I think of a defeated enemy, I think of an enemy who is powerless has no influence anymore but you can't say that you can't say that of the devil 
forsaken, can you? He's, he's still very much active and still very much uh, powerful. But ultimately, he will be destroyed. The warfare still continues. That's, that's what I mean. Yes, I see it a bit like playing a chess game. If you know how to play chess, and I've played it a little bit, you know that if you make a series of moves that you're eventually going to win or lose. While Satan is still out there doing his stuff, he knows that his day is coming to an end. And we can read about that in Revelation chapter 19 and chapter 20. So what was God to do with this rebellion in heaven and on earth? Because uh, God could have completely zapped Satan and human beings and so on, but God's love is impossible to switch off. And he had a plan. So, Will, uh, would you like to explain that plan, which is also expounded in First Peter? Yes, it's First uh, Peter 1, verses 18 to 21. Then just before I read that text, uh, let's just sketch a little background. Heaven's purity and the terrible results that sin introduced were total opposites and would ultimately introduce to all mankind a corruption that would eventually annihilate the entire human race. God stepped in with a plan, very amazing, but very expensive. The plan was that Jesus would take the place of man and die the penalty that was his so that man could live. And it's beautifully expounded in First uh, Peter one eighteen to 21. And I'm reading now from Scripture. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, like silver or gold, from your aimless conduct received by the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb, without blemish and without spot, He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. What he's basically saying is that this plan was foreordained even before the earth was created, uh, and but was now being manifest or being shown or played out before man. To finish the text, verse 21 says, Who through him... Believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. It's a terrible dilemma. And uh, one writer, my perhaps my most favorite quote, it, it sketches the thing, the, drum, the emergency or the, drum, the, the drama of the scene very well. It, it says, justice, that's God's justice, and God's mercy, justice and mercy stood apart, as it were in opposition to each other, separated by a wide gulf. The Lord Jesus, our Redeemer, clothed his divinity with humanity and accomplished on behalf of man a character that was without spot or blemish. He planted his cross midway between heaven and earth, and made it the object of attraction which reached both ways, drawing both justice and mercy across the gulf. Justice moved from its exalted throne 
and with all the armies of heaven approached the cross. Then it saw one equal with God, bearing the penalty for all injustice and sin, with perfect satisfaction. Justice bowed in reverence at the cross, saying, It is enough. Boy, what a what a statement that God provided an, a, an adequate substitution to save us from our sins. Thank you, Will. Yes, we are in awe of, the, of God's love and to the extent to which his love is expressed. Now, in Revelation chapter 12, which we've been referring to quite a bit, Denise, would you read Revelation 12, 1 to 5, and then answer the people will be wondering, well, who's the woman and who's the dragon and who's this and who's that? Would you like to just explain, please? Sure, Lynn. Revelation 12, verses 1 to 5. A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his head. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter, and her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. All right, so there's quite a few symbols here. So the symbol of the woman with the moon and uh, the crown of 12 stars, that symbol represents the church, God's people. Then there was the red dragon with the seven heads and the ten horns, and that red dragon represents Satan. Next, we have the woman uh, giving birth, and there was a male child born, and that male child refers to Jesus. Uh, Also, the red dragon, it says, swept a third of the stars out of the sky, and the third of the stars represents the angels who rebelled with Satan and who were cast out of heaven. Thank you. Yes, um Quite a few symbols are there, but you've explained that very well. Thank you, Denise. Now, Jerry, as well as in Revelation, there are prophetic statements in the book of Daniel and also the book of Psalms. In Psalm chapter 2, verses 7 to 9, it talks about the male child. Would you like to just open this up to us a little bit? Yeah, sure. In verse... Seven. I'm just reading from the Living Bible that says there, His chosen one replies, I will, I will reveal the everlasting purposes of God. For the Lord has said to me, You are my son. This is your coronation day. Today I am giving you glory. Only ask, and I will give you all the nations of the world. Rule them with an iron rod. Smash them like clay pots. In the context of this is that uh, the nations are angry. So the chapter starts with the verse, What fools the nations are to rage against the Lord. How strange that men should try to outwit God. 
here we see a different symbol of a, a rod. Normally, when you think of, say, the shepherd's rod in Psalm 23, verse 4, it says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will feel, fear no evils, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me, they protect me. But in this case, the uh, rod is an iron rod. It smashes the nations who rage against the Lord. Um, so iron here, a rod of iron, has a different symbol. It symbolizes power, uh, indestructibility. Unlike the earthly kingdoms, God's kingdom will not pass away. And we see that in Daniel chapter 2, verse 44, where all the successive nations that have raged against the Lord will come to an end because he shatters them with his rod of iron. Yes, um, it's another good symbol. In fact, in my Bible, it just doesn't say rod. It says scepter, which is a symbol of royalty. Well, from his birth at Bethlehem and while he was on earth, Jesus was constantly attacked by Satan. Finally, Jesus at the hands of wicked men was murdered at Calvary, hung on a cross. Was this a victory for Satan or defeat? Joe? Well, it may have looked, it may have looked like a victory for Satan. Because Jesus was crucified, he was disfigured and lifeless, um, dead because the soldiers had pierced his side to ensure that this was the case. He had not merely passed out. Even the disciples um, would have thought it was all over. The scene only looked as though Satan had won, but it wasn't the case. Jesus did not once succumb to the temptations of the devil, and they would have been relentless. Satan would have been dogging Jesus steps throughout his life on earth and had Jesus given into temptation just once it would have meant a victory for him but he was thoroughly defeated Jesus himself said in John 16:11 the prince of this world now stands condemned and in John 14:30 for the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me the resurrection Christ's resurrection on Sunday morning testified to to it so that no one could be in any doubt who the victor was, Jesus, of course. Yes. Now, you can imagine a scene when Jesus died on the cross. Perhaps this is what Satan thought. Aha, I got you. But what happened on Sunday morning, Nick? All right. Well, um, Len, probably to answer uh, uh, that question, it's best to turn into the Bible and uh, just read a couple of verses from Luke chapter 24. And I will start verse 5, which says, The women were terrified and bowed with their face to the ground. Then the man asked, Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He's risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of the sinful man and be crucified. And then he would raise again on the third day. Now, uh, Len and Panel, I think this is uh, remarkable here that... Um, these faithful women, 
going to the tomb, you know, I mean, they were in very sad, I believe, you know, because their Lord had been killed, crucified. But here is the good news. Those men, which represent the angels, spoke to them. And you know what I would like to just emphasize on? Is that they, they said, remember. Remember. Now, you cannot remember something. You have to know it first in terms to, to remember something. I mean, it's important to know the word of God and not to be deceived. I believe this is uh, very beautiful to understand what uh, the angels said to, to these women. And it was a great news to tell them that he's alive. Probably one of the most important statements ever made on planet Earth. He is not here. He is risen. Well, Satan knew that his number was up. Revelation chapter 12, verses 10 to 12, talks about what will occur yet in the future. Will, would you like to read those couple of texts and just explain a little bit? Certainly, Len. Again, a little bit of background before I read the text. In the conflict that we read about between uh, Lucifer and heaven's forces, where Satan was cast out in the beginning, at that time God could have not only banished them from heaven, but simply annihilated them for their disobedience. But evil was given some time to prove how detrimental it really is. But you know, it's time and Satan's time will come. The countdown is on for Satan and his wicked schemes. The God of love has allowed the universe to decide for themselves whether the government of Lucifer is really better than God's righteous government. We've now all seen personally how the evil the trend is, and it's not a pretty one. So let me say D-Day is coming for Satan, and the clock is ticking for him and uh, soon righteousness will triumph. Let me read the text. Revelation 12, verses 10 to 12. I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God day and night, has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony that, that they did not love their lives to the death. The key verse is, therefore, the verse 12, Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to you, the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. <laughs> he knows he has but a short time. So I can say hooray to that. Absolutely. Yes. All right. Well, Satan was defeated at Calvary, so he couldn't get Christ. What was his alternate plan there, Joe? I'll read a couple of verses. First in Revelation twelve six, The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1260 days. This is from the NIV. 
And also in Revelation 12, 13 and 14, further down the chapter, it says, When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness, where she would be taken care of for a time, times and half a time out of the serpent's reach. Now, as was mentioned um, already, Jesus was no longer around to be harassed. He was um, he was ready to devour the child as soon as it was born, as it had been read, but he was caught up to God. So Satan then turned his attention to Christ's followers. The woman in Scripture represents God's faithful, as we've already mentioned, his pure church, as Denise has read, and we know from history that those who valued the word of God above their lives were hunted like animals and hid in caves from a persecuting power pretending to do God's will. She would be taken care of, and she was given refuge and sustained in the wilderness and in remote and difficult-to-access places of the earth. Such was the rage against Christ and his church. Now, behind the scenes, this struggle has always been between two players. As you mentioned, Len, Christ and Satan. Satan couldn't destroy Christ, so he attacks his faithful children to get at him. And we know that from um, words that have been already mentioned, your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. So this is his, this is his anger now unleashed against the followers of Christ. And as Will has read, you know, having great wrath, he knows his time is short, so he has given his undivided attention to that of taking down Christ's faithful. That way he's hurting and causing Christ anguish and, of course, our eternal loss if we um, if we fall. It reminds me of uh, somebody who takes um, children from a rich man's family hostage in order to get at that rich person or famous person, whoever it is. Denise, you've got a comment you'd like to share. Yes, um, there was uh, what Satan established was a corrupt church together with a corrupt state which oppressed, uh, persecuted and at times slaughtered God's faithful people. So he was able to attack God's people, the church, through another church. Yes. All right. Well, now, Satan attacks human beings. He does all sorts of things, tempts us to do wrong, brings about situations which are undesirable. As God sustained the church during that 1260-year period of time from 538 AD to 1798, God's people have been attacked and sustained at the same time. I wonder if any of you have had some really hard times and yet you felt that God sustained you during these times. And I hope you can share something here, panel, because I'm sure there are plenty of people listening to us right now who've gone through some pretty horrific experiences and feel that they are being attacked by Satan and yet they can also know from you that God will sustain them. So who would like to 
share something here. Denise, thank you. Twelve years ago, um, my husband contracted cancer and went through a period of chemotherapy and uh, he was quite sick for 11 months. He had a very aggressive cancer and as a result of that, he died. And it was a very difficult time for the family, for me, uh, knowing that my husband was going to die and knowing that I would be still alive and carrying on with life and he wouldn't be there to support me. So I, um, my faith in God on a daily basis sustained me during that time, helped me to cope, helped me to face the reality of what was going to happen. And, uh, I look back on that time and I, and I know that God sustained me and I know that he helped me to cope and to cope with the successive years after that. It's been 12 years. Um, and while you don't ever forget an experience like that, I know that God was with me and he helped me and he guided me. Praise the Lord for that. Thank you, Denise. Anybody else? Yes, Nick. I'd like to share also a little bit of uh, my experience uh, with God. I mentioned in previous programs a few things about uh, my uh, conversion and how uh, God helped me in that time when I decided to follow him, even though I lost my job at that time. Now, this was when I was starting to give myself to God. But what I like to say now is that after a few years, being a, I believe, you know, a faithful child of God, you know, try to serve him and to do his will, uh, being involved in church, I hit another brick wall, if you like. My marriage was just uh, collapsing. And uh, on top of that, that was just after the communist regime collapsed in Romania. There were lots of changes. And uh, I lost my job where I was working that workshop where I was working was uh, closing down. And I find myself with no work with a breakdown relationship. And uh, I asked myself, I mean, I just give myself to God, how this can happen. But in that period of time, I learned something very important. Never to turn away from God. Yes. To allow him to carry you on his wings in troublous times. What I decided to do in that period of time, with no job, as I said, family breaking down, I decided to work for God. I decided decided to become an evangelist, to go from house to house, from village to village, and to talk about the mercies of God, the wonderful things God has for us. Now, in my case... What I was experiencing was not that great from a human perspective, but I knew that if I allow God, he will sort it out. And it's a long story. I need more time to share that, but God indeed worked miraculously in my life. 
helping me through that difficult period of time. But this is the thing which I want to point it out. When you go through some difficult times, give yourself to God even more. Yes. And he will take you through. Reminds me of the old hymn, Trust and Obey. And uh, you just leave it to God. Now, look, we're running a bit short of time. All I wanted to say, really, uh, we all go through difficult times. Some more difficult, sometimes are more difficult than others. But what makes things um, easier for me t- to deal with is knowing that God is there, that He's all powerful, and that anything that I've got to endure has been made easier to get through, knowing that God is in control. And I'm comforted that God knows the end from the beginning and he will work it out so that it will be good in the end. Yes. It's it's wonderful to have a God to turn to and who carries us through these awkward times. Okay, well, thank you for those testimonies. You know, twice in the book of Revelation, God's faithful people, the saints, are described. Nick, what two characteristics are highlighted? Len, it's very important what you just said there, that uh, God's people are characterized there. And if I just quickly look in uh, Revelation chapter 12, verse uh, 17, it says here, And the dragon was angry at the woman and declared war against the rest of her children, all who keep God's commandments and maintain their testimony from Jesus. And just a few chapters after in uh, chapter 14, verse 12, it says here, this means that God's holy people must endure persecution, patiently obeying his commandments and maintaining their faith in Jesus. Now I'm li- I'm reading from New Living Translation. But what I was going to say here is that two important things, Len and Panel, God's people are described that they keep the commandments of God and then they have faith in Jesus or in the testimony of Jesus. Now if you are just interested to know what that means, the testimony of Jesus, if you like to read further on in uh, Revelation, in uh, chapter 19 and verse 10 actually describes what that is. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now, I know that sometimes people are tempted to just go hard on prophecy, for example, and forget about the commandments of God. Or maybe go hard on the commandments of God and not even applying the interpretation of prophecy. I will suggest now that as these passages in the Bible I just read pointed out that God's children should be represented as keeping the commandments of God and understanding the prophecies which reveals to us even now the times we live in. Because as we are learning through these Bible studies, the cosmic messages, this bring to our attention God's plan of salvation through the end, through all the prophetic line of the Bible. And I will encourage 
uh, you, my dear listener, to give attention to the prophecies of the Bible as we are going to look a little bit more into the book of Revelation uh, in the next uh, studies and learn about God's plan for you. Yes, salvation is a double uh, is a double pronged fork. Obedience is important, and also faith in Jesus. And of course, uh, most of the prophecies about Jesus, so the spirit of prophecy is about Jesus. Dear listeners, we're all involved in a war, in the great controversy, the conflict between good and evil. Evil did not come about because of evolution. It began with one angel in heaven who desired to take the place of God. Lucifer's rebellion has affected the lives of every human being on planet Earth. We're all free to choose to serve God or to serve the deceiver. Ultimately, your choice of master will determine your final destiny. Choose Christ, the victor, and you will be rewarded with eternal life. Choose Satan, and you, along with him and his agencies, will be the losers. Your destiny will be defeat, eternal death. For us, your panel today, the choice is clear. We have chosen to accept Christ's victorious sacrifice and to obey God's commands in being faithful to our Lord. The trailing question I have for you today is, what is your choice? Will, would you close this study today with prayer? Thank you. Dear Heavenly Father, we pause to thank you for the amazing plan of redemption to save a world destined for eternal ruin and destruction. Thank you for our Saviour, Jesus, who accomplished for humankind what they could never have done for themselves. We accept the substitute, Jesus, who opened the way to eternal life for us all, and we praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, everyone, for your participation today. Uh, my dear friend listening, uh, I hope that uh, you'll choose to follow Jesus and be on his side because the enemy is after us all to deceive us. But Jesus is the victor. And we're inviting you to join us again next time when we are going to look at a beautiful study, I believe, A Moment of Destiny. Until then, may God richly bless you. And I'm encouraging you to keep walking in the footsteps of Jesus. Before the throne of God above I have a strong and perfect plea A great high priest whose name is love Whoever lives and pleads for me My name is graven on his hands My name is written on his heart I know that while in heaven he stands 
Savior and 